Good morning, everyone. My name is Julie, and it's my privilege to read today from Romans 8, verses 18 to 31. That's Romans 8, 18 to 31. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those that he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, thank you for having me along today. It's just really great to uh, get to see, especially in this new location. I think last time I was here was over in the uh, basketball court and um, I dressed warmly and froze. It's lovely to see that you're in, in this spot here now. Well, you could hear with the kids, even, if you ask anyone in the world at the moment what they think is one of the biggest challenges that we're facing, even kids, everyone is going to say, or at least consider saying COVID, aren't they? And that's what we did. We Back in Term 3 last year, you might remember, we asked people in our community, friends and workmates, what they think is the biggest challenge we're facing. And COVID was one of the, the top responses. You heard some of the others in the other weeks. It's funny though, because for me personally, and I reckon for a lot of South Australia, COVID hasn't felt like that big, that much of a big challenge for me on a personal level. I don't know if you feel that way too. I only know, as I've thought about it, I only know two people who've had COVID in South Australia and and anywhere, and they're both perfectly fine now. And when I think about COVID and how it affects me personally, my overwhelming feeling is not terror or devastation. 
my overwhelming response to COVID is just pure frustration. It's frustration. I don't know if you know, but uh, about just a bit over a week ago, I got out of two weeks of quarantine, and I know some of you have had a similar experience to this. On what happened was on the um, the 30th of December at 5 a.m. I, I got up and I packed up the family caravan in robe, and I started a trip to New South Wales to foster in New South Wales, which Google told me would be 18 hours of driving if we drove it straight. And my wife and I, we'd been monitoring the um, COVID cases in New South Wales for weeks leading up to this, and it all looked fine. You know, we weren't going anywhere near Sydney. So it was five cases in Sydney one day, three the next. We thought, we can do this. So we made the decision, all right, we're going to do it. We started the drive. We were a couple of hours across the border into New South Wales when we tuned into the 11 o'clock COVID update. And what did we hear? 18 cases of COVID had happened in New South Wales. Now, we'd been pretty keen to get across to New South Wales because my, um, I think there's a trip, that's how they look for pretty much 17 and a half hours of the drive. Now, we were pretty keen to get to New South Wales because my my wife's father, who you, you can see sitting down there, hadn't been very well. In fact, he'd nearly died once in that year. We hadn't seen him for a year. And so we were pretty keen to get there, and so we thought it was worth the risk, but then 18 cases were found in New South Wales, and then the next day, what did South Australia do? Well, they said, you've got 12 hours to get across the border, and we had a quick look on Google. It was 13 hours to Pinaru, as you can see. And how did we feel after 13 hours in the car? Frustrated. Now, it was frustrating, but really, I've got absolutely nothing to complain about. You know, it was hard waiting those five days to hear back from South Australia whether they'd give us a permit to come back or not. And it was hard being in quarantine for two weeks, especially when they reopened the border to New South Wales and let all the people who'd been in quarantine out who'd arrived a couple of days after us. It was frustrating, but again, nothing compared to what COVID is like for so many people in our world. I haven't lost loved ones. I haven't had my work threatened or lost my job. I don't know anyone who's lost everything because of COVID, actually. And for many people, not everyone, but for many of us in South Australia, I imagine we're in a similar sort of situation. We're incredibly fortunate. We're frustrated by COVID, but most of us probably aren't devastated. But think about it on a global scale. It's just so different, isn't it? Do you remember those pictures in the news of New York and the temporary morgues set up in the streets and the park? It was terrible. Or did you see the footage of, you know, doctors in tears with patients struggling to breathe in the corridors just outside their, their, their hospital rooms with them not being able to do anything to help them? Over two million deaths worldwide. And when you see that, it's not frustrating. It's devastating. And actually, even closer to home, it's much more than just frustrating for many of us here in Australia. You know, it's heartbreaking for those who've poured their their heart and soul into their business to close the doors forever. It's devastating for, you know, families that you see divided across countries, dads not able to see their kids, mums not able to see their kids. 
And I reckon one of the saddest things I keep reading about in the news here in Australia is uh, people who are unable to say goodbye to loved ones or even attend their funerals, like um, this couple that you can see on the screen here. Did you read their story? They were in Brisbane in quarantine. They just completed their two weeks in hotel quarantine. And during that time, his brother had died and he wasn't able to go and say goodbye to him. And then half an hour before they got out of quarantine, they got told they were going to have to do another two weeks of quarantine because of the UK strain. Had been, there'd been an outbreak in their hotel. So he wasn't going to be able to go to his brother's funeral either. That's not frustrating. That's devastating. It's heartbreaking. COVID, it really is a, a huge challenge for our world, isn't it? And so our question today, which, which Amanda said before, is where is God in all of this? Where is God in COVID? That's really our question. This is a, a huge disaster now and it's likely to have ramifications for years to come. So where is God in all of this heartbreak? It's a really good question. And it's a, it's a bit of a tricky question, isn't it? Quite a tricky question. Because there's lots of mess in this world that we can easily blame on humans. But COVID, you know, it's just not like that. Think of greed, racism, selfishness. Easy to blame on humans. But we can't really blame COVID on humans. Now, people try. You've probably heard people even try to label it things like the Chinese virus and things like that. And certainly we can make the situation worse by breaking quarantine or lying or fighting over toilet paper in supermarkets. But the truth is, even if humans handled the virus with perfect morality, even still, this would be a problem that we can't blame on humans. And so the question would still be there, where is God in this? Has he done this? Has he allowed this? Is he to blame? And it's not just coronavirus that raises hard questions like this. It's all the natural disasters and diseases that we see in this world that we can't blame on humans. You know, things like earthquakes, tsunamis, SARS, MERS, swine flu, bird flu, HIV, smallpox, polio, Spanish flu, the Black Plague. Really, COVID is just the latest issue in a really long list of things that have been plaguing humans and will go on plaguing us. In a way, COVID is not actually something unusual in our world. I mean, it feels unusual, but when you look at the big scheme of things, it's actually pretty typical of the nature of our world. And so this is an important question that's also a very old question that's just as relevant today as it's always been. Where is God in all the pain of this world that humans can't be blamed for? Is he actually to blame? Now this question, it's actually so ancient that even philosophers in the way back, like the third century BC, have been asking questions like this. A guy called Epicurus from the third century BC, he asked something like this, is God willing to prevent evil, evil like COVID, but not able? So is he, he weak actually? Or is he able to prevent evil like COVID, but not willing? 
So is it actually that God's not good? Or is he both able to prevent it and willing to prevent it? But if that's the case, then why does evil exist? Now, that again is a great question. It's exactly the the issue that we're looking at. And from this, some people conclude that since things like COVID exist, therefore God must not exist. You know, for some people that's kind of like a cold, hard conclusion that they come to in their minds logically. But for other people, it's kind of something that's come from their own personal experience and pain and heartbreak of this world. But one of the problems with concluding that God isn't there because suffering is there is that suffering ceases to be something that we can even call a problem in that case. COVID and and all the mess that it's caused in this world then becomes not a problem, not a bad thing. It's just a part of life. In fact, if you remove God, you completely remove your ability to call anything right or wrong. This is essentially what the atheist Richard Dawkins does, even though he can't actually live consistently with what he says he believes, no one could, he he claims, he writes, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Do you see that? In other words, there's no rational reason to find COVID a problem or earthquakes or racism or people abusing other people. There's no solid basis for thinking that some things are right and some things are wrong because really there's there's no such thing as right or wrong. And don't hear me wrong here. I'm not saying, therefore, that atheists are immoral people. I'm not saying that at all. I can confidently tell you that sometimes atheists are more moral than religious people. But what I'm saying is that if atheists are right then actually what they're saying is that there's no such thing as a moral person or an immoral person. And no one, if they're right, no one has ever done anything wrong to you. No one ever could do anything wrong to you or anything wrong to your children because there is no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing that blind, pitiless indifference. Now, this, this kind of answer to COVID is just unworkable, isn't it? Very few people can live consistently with this point of view. Most atheists don't live consistent with that. In fact, all but a few psychopaths can live as if there really is no right or wrong. But this is our choice. We either say, what are you doing, God? Because there's so much that's wrong with this world. Or we say, there is no right, there is no wrong, 
It's just an illusion. And so in the end, there's no solid basis for having a problem with what I see in the world. But the truth is that COVID is not just the result of natural forces. It's not just a a challenge that we're facing. It's a problem. And the death and the loss and the hardship, it's not just a matter of random indifference. It's a tragedy. It's not right. We sense that it shows that something's wrong with our world because something really is wrong with our world. This brings us back to our question. So if God is really there, where is he in all this mess? Now, at this point, some people want to take the option, want to conclude that God is there kind of watching, worrying, but not able to help. But you'll never find that idea anywhere in the Bible because a God who is is powerless to intervene is really no God at all. Other people want to conclude that that God is there all right and he's sending things like COVID as a kind of direct punishment on the world for some particular wrong that the world has done. But this isn't really the way that the Bible talks either. You know, in fact, there's there's a whole book in the Bible, the book of Job, which is all about how you can't make a direct link like that. Humans can't discern a direct link like that between suffering and someone deserving it. You know, other religions talk about karma, but the Bible is absolutely against that idea. It it doesn't teach that people in this life get what they deserve. If anything, it teaches the opposite, that in this life people won't get what they deserve. Jesus himself taught this. He said you can't look at what happens in the world to someone and and think that it's directly because of what they've done. So a a tower collapsed and killed 18 people during Jesus' ministry. You know, it was a kind of natural disaster. And Jesus says to the people back then, they shouldn't try to link things like that with God directly punishing people. But then in the very next breath, Jesus does say that things like that tower collapsing, natural disasters, things like COVID, they still do say something to us. And they say something to all of us. Have a, have a look at this little exchange with me in, in Luke chapter 13. Jesus says, those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But, Here it is. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now we shouldn't think that natural disasters in the world are the direct result of something that anyone's done. But Jesus says we should see them as a sign that something's wrong with this world. And more than that, we should see them as a sign that something's wrong with our world because of all of us. Now, this is where we start to see the answer as to where God is in COVID and in every natural disaster and tragedy in our world. God is breaking through to us to see that something is wrong with our world. God is is breaking through to us to see that something is wrong with our world because our relationship with Him is broken. Let me show you how we see this 
this difficult idea from just one part of the Bible, Romans 8, that was read before. Stick with me as I um, explain it to us. So Romans 8, it's a letter written soon after Jesus to Christians in Rome, Italy. And the Apostle Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now what Paul's doing is he's saying that life in this world right now is not the goal. It's not the end point. Creation is is waiting for a far, far greater goal. And so he's saying that the suffering that we experience now, any pain, any mess, no matter how great, it pales into insignificance compared to what's to come. Now, Paul's not making light of our suffering here, the suffering that we experience, not at all. But he is saying it's worth it. It's worth it for what's to come. Now, that can feel pretty hard to stomach, can't it? But just put aside that feeling for a second. If you've ever been with someone during labour, I reckon you get a taste for this. You know, during labour, it's like the world is ending. I remember a, a friend of mine once said to me, he loved childbirth. He said, oh, it's just such a miracle. I wanted to punch him in the face. I don't know what was wrong with him. I hated childbirth. It was the most stressful experience of my life. And I know I'm not allowed to complain, right? It's not like I was doing anything. Well, it's doing a lot of stuff. None of it was useful. But from, from what I could see during labor, the pain was all consuming. The suffering, it, it was dominating. But then what I saw 14 years ago, was once labour was done and Kathy, my wife, was holding the baby, once the goal was reached, I had no doubt that she thought it was worth it. I had no doubt that the pain experienced in those hours just couldn't compare to the joy that this baby, this, this lifetime with this baby ahead. Now, I remember during a different child being born, Kathy said something like, I can't do it get me out of here, you know, something like that. When you're in the midst of it, it doesn't feel that way. But once she was through it, there was no doubt it couldn't compare. Now, Paul's point here is that the pain that we're experiencing now, it was this life now, it was never meant to be the goal, the end point. And no matter how painful it is for us, for you, no matter how painful it could get for you still it it just can't compare to the goal that God has in mind for you but here's where it gets tricky because Paul and the whole Bible in fact goes on to say that the pain that we see in this world is actually in, in at least one sense from God's hand Look at verse 20 where we saw this. He writes, For the creation was subjected to frustration. Now this is frustration, not like my frustration at COVID. This is frustration in the sense that creation is being held back from reaching its goal. It's being frustrated by being held back. 
And we read where this blockage comes from. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. This is talking about God. God is the one who has blocked his world from easily reaching its goal. Now, to begin with, God made the world so that it just worked. Humans in the world just worked. There was no COVID. There were viruses. There were earthquakes, perhaps, as well. Apparently, even today, 99% of viruses don't cause disease and are necessary for life. And even earthquakes, apparently, plate tectonics are necessary for life, recycling chemicals, balancing carbon dioxide, things like that. But when God made the world, there weren't viruses causing disease or earthquakes causing destruction to humans. But human rejection of God led him to frustrate creation from reaching its goal. Now, it's funny the way the human mind thinks, because we think, isn't that vindictive? Because that's possibly something we'd consider doing. But not God. Look at why God does it in verse 21. God does it in hope. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. God does it to liberate us. It's funny because we tend to think of rejecting God as liberation, don't we? Freedom is to reject God. But, in actual fact, our rejection of God is binding ourselves to decay and others. A bondage that doesn't just affect us, affects others, affects even our world. But God refuses to leave us to happily live out that bondage to death. He frustrates our steps. He frustrates even creation. He makes it impossible for us to pretend that we can find life now in the moment. He's changed things so that life now is actually wave after wave of wake-up calls that there's a problem. Do you see what God is doing? This world is broken because our rejection of God has broken it. But if God were to shield us completely from the brokenness of this world, then we'd never wake up. We'd never suspect that there's a problem. We'd never ask the question, where is God in all of this mess? We'd never even ask the question, where is God? Allowing us to taste, just a taste of the brokenness of this world that we've brought into this world. It's the only way that God can break through to us. On the 18-hour drive back from New South Wales, we had plenty of time, as you can imagine. In fact, it was uh, it took us 21 hours, which is quite an achievement and a little bit stupid. But anyway, on the way back, we had plenty of time to do all sorts of things, but we listened a lot to um, Raoul Dahl, uh, a, a biography of his life called Going Solo. Do you know he was a, a pilot in the RAF in World War II? And he crashed his plane at one point in the desert in, at the top of Africa and fractured his skull. Both engines um, burst into flame. And he was sitting there in the cockpit going in and out of consciousness. What he really wanted to do, he said, was to sleep. He just wanted to go to sleep. 
But of course, if he did sleep, that would mean certain death for him. His plane was just an absolute inferno and he was actually behind enemy lines where he'd, he'd crashed as well. But there was something that kept him from falling unconscious. It was the intense heat of the flames. He says wave after wave of heat kept hitting him and wouldn't let him sleep. And it was so unbearable that eventually he crawled out away from the heat until he was safe and collapsed unconscious. But here's the point. It was the pain of those flames that undoubtedly saved his life. And without the pain of those flames, he would have just been lulled off to sleep where he was, unaware of the real problem he was facing. It's a really difficult concept for us to grasp and an even harder one for us to swallow. But the truth is God allows us to experience the mess of this world. But he does it for a much greater purpose. Life in this world is wave after wave of reminders that something's wrong. To wake us up. Not directly because of something wrong that we've done, but because our relationship with God is broken. And if he doesn't wake us up to that fact, we will be lost to him forever. You know, look at the whole world. Consider your life, whether you're young or got more experience. There will never be a time in this life where the waves don't come rolling in. You know, there are times of calm between the waves. But we know the waves will be back because that's the way this broken world works now. And when those waves hit us and we think, this is wrong. We're actually right. That's exactly the message God wants us to hear. It's why he allows there to be waves in this world. Things like COVID. It's because he's got something far, far better planned. But it is something we would miss if he didn't break through to us. We would miss it. Look at how C.S. Lewis, who once was an atheist, who became a Christian, put this. He puts it like this. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now we we can hear this and think that God is, is heartlessly breaking through to us, but that is just not true. No one feels our pain more than God does. God is not cold and and distant from the mess of this world. In fact, that's actually what Christianity is all about, isn't it? The central message of Christianity is that God himself enters our world, enters our suffering, doesn't sit high, mighty, immune. In Jesus, God becomes one of us, experiences the pain of this world firsthand, suffers and dies in our place for our mess, the mess we've made of his world. And he does it all so that he can make a way that we can be liberated from the bondage that we have brought into this world. We've been asking, where is God in in COVID? 
But I reckon there's, a, there's an even better way to put the question. I reckon the real question is, can you trust God with COVID? Can you trust God with, with the pain of this world and even closer to home with the pain of your own life? And the answer is you can because of Jesus. His death was out of love for you and his coming back to life shows you that God has got the real solution. It shows you, it shows all of us, life's not supposed to be quickly grasped between waves of hard things, cancer, COVID, loneliness, let down. Life is found in knowing God for all eternity. Life is found in the goal that God has for you, living in a world liberated from all these kind of things. You know, when you're a part of that world, if you're a part of that world where there's no suffering or sickness or sadness, where the environment wasn't threatened, where people weren't threatening either or disappointing, but the very best of creation. Now, if it took waves of suffering in this lifetime to wake you to want what God wants for you, would you consider it worth it? But whether you do or not, God considers you worth it. He doesn't like us suffering. It it breaks his heart more than it will ever break our heart. But if it wakes us from being lost from him for all eternity, then yes, he considers it worth it. Worth it if we turn back to him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever turned back to God? Admitted that part of the brokenness of this world is your own doing? Have you ever made that clear, conscious, public decision to trust Jesus? Why not do it today if you've never done it before? Or at least keep considering the evidence for who Jesus is and what he's done and what he offers. The life course that you might have heard about is a, an opportunity to do that at TTP, at, at Zido Cafe. Coming up, I think, just next Monday, not tomorrow but in a week. It's kind of five nights where you can explore who Jesus is, the evidence, ask questions, raise problems. What we say is come along to the first one, see if you like it. Don't come back if you don't. It's 7.30 on a Monday night. Uh, why not come along? Or if you know people who have got questions about Christianity, bring them along. It'll be a great chance. But at least keep talking about these things uh, maybe to the person who brought you along today.